0: But as I got more into my career, and I just began to feel like I'm I'm a pawn of the pharmaceutical companies. Like the whole system is set up such that the, you know, the pharmaceutical rep or the food company rep comes in, tells you, you know, their latest product, their latest gimmick and they sell you on two premises, on fear and on profit. You know, if you don't if you don't do this to your patients, you know, they're going to get sick and they could die and you could get sued and and oh by the way, this is how much money you can make if you sell this particular drug. And I just started taking a step back and saying, well, that's not medicine. It's certainly not healing.
1: Welcome to the Doggy Dan podcast show. Helping you unleash the greatness within your dog. Hello and welcome, everybody, to another Doggy Dan podcast. And today I am, I always say this, but it's true, I'm super excited. I'm with Dr. Judy Jasek from Colorado. Judy, she received her formal education at Colorado State University in zoology in 1984 and a doctor of veterinary medicine degree in 1988. Following graduation, she started a career as a rural mixed animal practice in Pocatello, Idaho. Then she relocated to Salt Lake City. Uh, in Denver, in 2001, she purchased the Bellevue Animal Clinic in Englewood in 2003 and began her journey into a more integrative approach to practice. And before selling this clinic in 2015, she learned the power in supporting the natural healing ability of the body and began a new practice philosophy. Dr. Judy Jasek, great to have you on the podcast today.
0: Oh, thanks, Dan. So, so happy to be here. Great to chat with you.
1: Yeah, I feel like we've got a lot in common. Uh, you have two chihuahuas, I believe. Have you still got two chihuahuas?
0: Yeah. Oh, well, it's, it's actually one now. I guess we need to change that. It's a, oh, I know. I had one pass away in July, so we'll have to.
1: Oh, I know the feeling. I, I have so many blogs out there with saying I've got four dogs and I'm down to yeah. two.
0: <laughs> to change that.
1: So beautiful to have you on the podcast today, Judy. I'd like to hand over to you. I always like to hand straight over to you. Tell us a little bit about who you be, what you do, your passions. I know I'm going to really enjoy chatting to you today because I know um, a lot of what, you, well, I think I know a lot of what you believe, but uh, I'll leave it to you. Okay. Tell, us, tell us what you do, what you feel, your mission. Yeah.
0: yeah. So, um, you know, I, I started out in medicine like all veterinarians do. We're all conventionally trained. We're all trained kind of the same way. Which basically conventional medicine is about symptom control where, you know, pet has a symptom. Say we have itchy skin or we have diarrhea or whatever shows up and we give a drug to suppress the symptom. And that's really what conventional medicine is. But what happens when you do that, if you're just focused on the symptoms and you're not looking at whole body health, um, there's more and more diseases are going to pop up on down the road because you're driving whatever is is perpetuating that whatever is going on with the body if you're not addressing the underlying cause um, it's going to show up again later on down the road as something more serious and one of the things I see a lot of is cancer patients and the cancer rate has just has gone up exponentially in dogs and so as I got into my career, you know, I graduated in 1988. So I've been doing this several decades now. Um, I, <laughs> yeah. You know, so when people ask me for, well, do you have evidence? Do you have a research study? I said, well, I have 35 years experience. And that, to me, is more valuable in a lot of cases than um, the research studies anyway. But as I as I got it more into my career, and I just began to feel like I'm I'm a pawn of the pharmaceutical companies, like The whole system is set up such that the, you know, the pharmaceutical rep or the food company rep comes in, tells you, you know, their latest product, their latest gimmick, and they sell you on two premises, on fear and on profit. You know, if you don't, if you don't do this to your patients, you know, they're going to get sick and they could die and you could get sued and, and oh, by the way, this is how much money you can make if you sell this particular drug. And I just started taking a step back and saying, that's not medicine. It's certainly not healing. And bottom line is our pets are just getting sicker. They're not getting better. All these advances in medicine that we're seeing, um, and some of the diagnostic advances are wonderful. Like I started practicing before we could do things like ultrasounds, echocardiograms, um, some of the surgical capabilities when that's warranted. Absolutely fantastic. But bottom line... Pets are getting sicker. They're not. They're not getting healthier. So, so what needs to change? And and I think because I was open to looking at alternatives, you know, I think when you open your mind, the universe brings in information and the resources that uh, that you need or that you're looking for. So I had people come into my life that, you know, were feeding raw food, feeding natural diets. Um, you know, I started learning about homeopathy and herbal medicine and and you know, there was it was a big learning curve because I don't just make, you know, my patients guinea pigs just to try stuff on them. I had to have a enough of a background in in these modalities before I was comfortable using them. But then ultimately, I started to see them turn around. Just giving better nutrition makes a huge difference and stop poisoning the body with things like way too many vaccines. And I know that's something you want to get into here a little later. Um, We can talk Mm. about protocols, but I think pets are way, way over vaccinated and over medicated. And, you know, my basic philosophy has become that if, you know, I I heard on another podcast I was, I was listening to that that disease comes from two places that it's either, you know, deficiency or an excess, and so if we have a deficient diet, we're not supporting the body nutritionally and giving the body the things that it needs to be healthy and to heal, um, or we're putting things in the body that are causing excessive inflammation and basically toxicity in the body, we're, we're going to have disease. So by supporting the body with appropriate nutrients and, and giving the body the tools, and the body knows how to heal. Like, mother nature Mm. has it down like it's humans that screw stuff up really um because humans think they're way smarter than they are is you know general rule you know they're like oh we can get in and we can we can fix this and we just give this drug or we just give this whatever um and it doesn't usually work work so well because you end up like micro again you're back to micromanaging symptoms and that's what a lot of medicine is it's not it's not healthcare, it's disease management. That's what we see in human medicine too. Yeah. And sadly, and I will just tell you, I I think that, that the medical industry, both in humans and pets, is is so profit driven. Um, and there's more money in sickness than there is in health. There's not a lot of advantage to the big corporations who and kind are of run the running the show, so to speak, now, um, in helping people and pets stay healthy. You know, there's a lot more money in keeping them, keeping them sick. I, I want to, I would love to, one of my favorite things to do is to see, you know, like a young puppy come in and I can get them off to this great start in life and get them on a good diet. And we talk about doing, you know, minimal vaccines, get them protected, but not overdoing it and then send them out the door. And I hope they're healthy. And I want, I want people, I think one of my passions is getting people educated enough that they know how to keep their pets healthy, so they're not running into the vet all the time. You know, that's that's yeah. my business model. I I want to empower people to um, to to know how to do that, and in my mind, it's pretty simple because of my experience. But I understand there's also a lot of really confusing information out there coming from other veterinarians and from the social media groups, and um, so I help people sort that out. And based on my experience, um, what I have seen work for pets, help them come up with plans um, to help keep their pets healthy. And I look at the pet, I look at quality of life. You know, I think another big difference in the way I practice is we look at the pet and it's not, it's, it's it's a pet, it's a living biological being. It's not a diagnosis. In conventional medicine, they put a name to something, and then they have a treatment protocol for whatever that thing is that they just named. And they don't look at the pet. Well, so take chemotherapy, for example. You know, pets could be getting very, very sick from chemo, but they're fighting the cancer, so they keep doing it. And they're not looking at, yeah, but it's killing the pet, literally sometimes doing that. And so, you know, we have to look at the pet, and the pet's quality of life is, you know, what I think is the the most important thing. And that's
1: what I stay focused on. Mm. Wow. I agree with pretty much everything you've said. And there's so many crossovers and similarities and things that I've seen as a behaviorist. You know, obviously, I've experienced a lot of things with my dogs and sickness and, and, you know, they say follow the money. Yeah. And when you follow the money, a lot of the time you go, wow. Mm-hmm. You know, one, one thing that struck me was just how much money there is in dog food. You know, people well, over here, people are paying $150 a bag mm-hmm. and they get a bag a month. Well, that's 150 times, times 12. We're talking almost $2,000. Mm-hmm. And when the dog lives over 10 years, that's over $20,000 they're going to pay on the dog mm-hmm. food. So... If it ain't the right dog food, and, you know, how many times have you heard this is the only dog food you ever need to feed your dog? And, you know, some dry kibble biscuit, and that's the only thing you ever feed your dog? There was a a, a vet said to me, it's probably the worst thing you could ever do, feed them the exact same dry biscuit their entire life.
0: Yeah, dogs are natural scavengers. Yeah. You know, they're really meant to get out and get variety and Mm. eat different different proteins and you know different ingredients in the diet i think that's what they you know really thrive on i think eating for a dog eating a dry food diet it'd be like you or i eating a breakfast cereal like the same breakfast cereal
1: yeah every day morning and night for our entire life
0: yeah yeah Exactly.
1: I mean, this is where I get a little bit suspicious, if I'm honest, because I go, it can't be that hard to do a test and say, well, is dog, is this dog better if it only eats one food its entire life? Really? Because then you've got another brand of dog food saying, well, this is the only food you ever need to feed your dog. And it's completely different. Then you have a third person saying this is the perfect food for your dog. And it's the only thing you ever need to. So they all make the same claim that it's the perfect food and the only food and don't feed it anything else. It can't be that hard to go, well, let's put a dog on a mixed mixed diet and see what happens.
0: Right. Well, you know, the other thing is every dog is different. Like, you, there is no yeah. one-size-fits-all
1: anything. No, no. I
0: mean, I can see, no. you know, 10 dogs like I see so much itchy skin. I mean, there's just, just so many dogs come in that have...
1: Itch- let's talk about itchy skin. It's something that okay. it really... It doesn't sound like a big thing, but I, I've had dogs with itchy skin, and it's horrible because you, you look at this and you treat it with that and you try this and you try that. What's, what's your experience with itchy skin? Where do, Where is that coming from? Is it? The-
0: I think a lot of it starts in the gut. I mean, I think a lot of health mm-hmm. starts in the intestines and having, you know, a healthy microbiome. We talk about, you know, you hear a lot of, um, you know, press out there these days about a healthy microbiome for people and pets. But I think it goes way beyond, um, you know, throwing a probiotic at them, which I think have really mixed efficacy um, i think a lot of what goes on is dogs get a leaky gut and this goes back to i i think the the diets so the kibble diets are about 50 uh processed carbohydrates about 50 percent carbohydrate and they're so highly processed and processed at such high temperatures that they're very inflammatory so they actually damage the gut line lining with through that inflammation they're also, um, I don't know if it's the same down there in New Zealand, here in America, the crops are heavily sprayed with glyphosate, which is also known yes. as Roundup. And it's, it, you know, the fields, it's used in the fields to kill weeds, but it's also used as a desiccant prior to, to harvest, which means they spray it on to help the crops dry faster so they can get them to market faster. So it's, it's a direct exposure. And it's a known carcinogen. I, I think it, it's just so toxic. And it's also been shown to cause leaky gut. So what leaky gut is, is where the the junctions in between the cells lining the intestines, those junctions are not tight. They, they cells spread apart. And so molecules of food, wherever the dog's eating, get absorbed before they're completely broken down. And they're foreign to the immune system. And I think that's a lot of what makes dogs itch. I start a lot with the the gut and that of course starts with nutrition, but other things, herbs to, to strengthen digestion. When I hear that a dog has, you know, kind of chronically loose stool, like more loose stool than we would expect, not just occasional, but kind of, mm. you know, pretty regular basis or dogs that, you know, they vomit a lot in the morning. You're going know, to hear that one a lot. They got this kind of irpiness. Um, that tells me we need to work on strengthening the, the digestion. and I start there and then we kind of can work from there using herbs and other things to help support the, the skin. I think I think a lot of itchy skin is also um, the body trying to detoxify. I see young dogs. I just before I got on this call, saw a 10 month old dog. Um, <clears throat> and this is really typical. came from a rescue's been itching. They, this, Gentleman has had the dog since the dog was, I think, ten or eleven weeks old. It's now ten months old, and has been itching the whole time. Well, when dogs come out of the rescue organizations, they have so many vaccines. There, I mean, I think this is a vaccine injury, because they're just vaccinated. And you know, I know the rescues are are very well intentioned, um, but they give a ton of vaccines to dogs. And I think how
1: many vaccines are you talking about?
0: Well typically here so they will start a lot of times you know early that's one of the things i think is a big mistake they'll start vaccinating very early like five or six weeks Um, a lot of times while the dogs are still nursing and so you have those maternal antibodies which are the antibodies from the mother dog if they're still nursing um that kind of disrupt the normal response to the vaccine so they don't tend to respond really well to the vaccines to begin with and then when you vaccinate that early that you have this young developing immune system and i mean it's just the immune system's just starting to recognize its external world and it has to learn what's friend or foe you know what do i react to what do i not react to what's what's healthy what's not healthy And these vaccines, you know, I think a big part of the thing with vaccines, it's such an unnatural route of exposure. So for a dog to get pretty much any disease that we vaccinate against, it would be exposed to the nose or the mouth, some mucous membrane. The immune system recognizes it there and then starts to build its response when we inject those antigens right into the body. The immune system really doesn't have a mechanism for processing those antigens, and you're injecting preservatives, um, you know, antibiotics.
1: And this is basically because the puppy's too young; it hasn't developed its own immune system. Almost is it? It's
0: it's too it's too young. Yeah, and in the case of like a rescue organization, you know, where they're um, they might not have these maternal antibodies on board; they might be orphaned, but they still have these really immature immune systems
1: i'm just thinking i'm pitching the size of these five week old pups i hope they get a a tiny amount compared to the standard size dogs or are they all one
0: no yeah i think they usually don't unfortunately
1: one size fits all with a vaccine yeah so they got that i mean that's where you know you give a 50 a 50 pound dog a vaccine but if you're dealing with a five week old teeny little pup weighing in at what no five five pounds yeah that's like a that's a that's a big hit
0: it's a big hit and and not only
1: Whoa. Are,
0: and they're not just getting one antigen you know like a lot of these vaccines mm. have parvo distemper adenovirus parainfluenza yes there's a doggy coronavirus um so they're getting all of these yeah. things um leptospirosis uh, in one of the highest reaction rates that i see i don't i haven't given a lepto vaccine in years and i don't ever recommend it. I think the adverse effects are so much worse than any any risk of disease. And, you know, the other thing that gets completely overlooked is that dogs, they have an immune system. Yeah. And I'm a firm believer if we support that immune system and keep the body healthy, they're going to be able to handle these, you know, disease exposures.
1: You only... You only have to look at what dogs are eating off the ground sometimes. Oh,
0: my gosh.
1: Then you realize their bodies are solid. Like, my dogs are, I mean, I hate to say it, but sometimes they eat dead. They they eat, one was trying to eat a dead rabbit the other day, just looking yeah. at me, kind of chewing through some guts with maggots. in. <laughs> right. But he's fine. Nothing, nothing wrong. He just looks at me and smiles.
0: Yeah, right. That's what dogs are meant to eat. But don't feed, like, oh, raw food because they might get... You know, salmonella or some horrible bacterial infection. But yeah, they can go eat roadkill and they're perfectly fine. But you're worried about this thing
1: was moving. This yeah. rabbit was moving, not because it was alive, but because it was full of maggots. Oh, Sorry that's to so be descriptive, but we're talking the most rotten, rancid meat. And he's looking and licking his lips, going, "Look what I just found." <laughs> Luckily, I've got a good good drop it command and leave it and
0: <laughs> your dogs hopefully are well trained being that you're a dog trainer. they're
1: well trained especially when it comes to that stuff they kind of they wonder i think they wondered whether i was going to take it back to the house and cook it up for <laughs> dinner kind of as, no it's going in the bin sorry guys but this is not <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah that's great well that's that's fascinating so itchy skin so even with itchy skin it's really it a lot of it can come back to food in and, and what you're putting into your dogs and um
0: Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, there can be some true allergies. I actually think, I actually think true food allergies are quite rare. Yeah. I think it's more of these, this leaky gut thing because I see so many people that come in, they've done the allergy testing and turns out their dog's allergic to everything they're eating. So they're searching for what's the one protein I haven't fed yet, you know, so they're looking for squid or alligator or kangaroo or something and like i think we're missing the point
1: (laughs) i see it doesn't matter what protein they're putting in because of the the leaky gut it's all causing problems exactly yeah
0: exactly yeah exactly we have to start with healing the gut and obviously if a dog reacts to a particular protein you see a direct cause and effect um then yeah don't feed them that protein until we get the the digestion stronger but um but you know it it's not really that the dog's allergic. Once we get the digestion stronger, most of the time the dogs can start to eat some of these other other proteins. It's it's really more about about gut health because it's it's the same organ. I mean, if you think about it, the skin on the outside of the body kind of goes into the mouth down down the um, digestive tract. You know, yeah. down yeah. into the mouth, down the esophagus. Um, it's, it's the same organ it's exposed to the external environment. So if we have inflamed skin, in my, my point of view, we're also going to have an inflamed gut. And yeah, that's definitely where I would start.
1: Mm, Fascinating. So for people who are listening to this and are interested in the vaccine side of things, I don't want to go into it now, but where can people go to on your website or can they call you or what, in terms of what you would recommend? How can they find out what, what sort of maybe some suggestions on what, what are the right vaccines or, or just read up more about it? Is there something on your website or?
0: We do. We have, um, so on our website, which is ahavet.com, we um, have a multimedia page and there are blog articles there. We're getting to. Vaccines, um, also vaccine alternatives like tighter testing, so we actually measure antibody levels to see if pets even need boosters. Um, I also use homeopathic nosodes, which is a more of an energetic way of protecting. I mean, homeopathy is kind of a whole big topic in and of itself, but it these do have proven efficacy. I know practitioners that have used nosodes in lieu of. Of traditional vaccines and they've been really, um, really, really effective. So there's information there. And then, yeah, I mean, I do phone and Zoom appointments. Um, so I'm like happy to work with anybody. And, you know, every case is a little different because they have different histories coming to me. I love to get dogs in that, you know, if, if people are getting dogs from a breeder and they can ask the breeder to do no vaccines and I get them without any vaccines on board, and then we can just do a real minimal... Um, protocol. Um, those dogs just do fantastic because we just really get them off to a good, good, healthy start without all of this early, um, early inflammation. And you know, another thing I want to just throw out there along the lines of early, your young pet health and you know, itchy skin and inflammation is don't spay or neuter early. Um, give them to at least a year. It's just okay. super important. Let that endocrine system develop um, normally. Let their skeletal system develop normally. Let them get along to where the um, the growth plates are closing, because when you pull out those hormones too early, um, it completely disrupts normal development. And I think that's another cause for some of these things we see, including chronic itchy skin, because wow. you're just you're disrupting the whole endocrine system, all of the, all the hormones in the body have have interrelated systems of operating. And so the reproductive hormones are linked to the thyroid and the adrenals and normal development. You know, they've actually proven that growth plates in the legs stay open longer um, when they are spayed and neutered young. And here, you know, some of the rescues, they are spaying them at, and neutering at eight and 10 weeks. And and pumping them full of vaccines. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, these poor dogs mm. just don't even have a chance yep. for a good, healthy life. Um, so I just wanted to throw that out there because I think that's a really, really important thing for for pet health. Do not spay and neuter um, too early.
1: Leave it as long as you can. I mean, I'm a, i am I, am I st- as you can see, I struggle with this topic.
0: Yeah, left you speechless,
1: didn't it? <laughs> I left me speechless. It doesn't happen very often. <laughs> I, I often say to people, do it earlier or at least do it before eight months because I, from a behavioral point of view, I see what happens with a lot of the male dogs around eight months. They get so you know, testy and kind of chest up and you put them in a doggy daycare and all you know, all, all hell breaks loose <laughs> quite often. Mm-hmm. So there's often that balance. So I'm not saying you're wrong any stretch of the imagination i totally hear you and sometimes it's a bit bit of a balance
0: well it's a case it's always a case by case basis you know because i will tell people that too if you have behavioral issues or you know you need to put them in a in a daycare and a lot of facilities won't take intact dogs um you know Mm. everybody has their own individual circumstances but bottom line is kind of put it off as long as you know you can manage to do that
1: from a medical point of view, it's best to leave it. Yeah, makes total sense. Mm-hmm. Just um, you touched on before about if people are wanting to read or find out more about um the vaccines and stuff that you they could go to, um aha vet dot com, and um mm-hmm. under multi multimedia. If you go there, guys, it's a beautiful website. I just wanted to say that Judy, I love your website. Oh, thank you. And under there, under podcast, there's there's like nearly a hundred um podcasts and interviews and stuff and it's everything from you know the safest and best pain medications to uh you know pet's elevated liver enzymes to itchy ears how to prevent hip dysplasia lymphoma and the raw diet you know why acid blockers block gut health so much stuff it's just fantastic so do go there ahavet.com and um, we'll have links all over our uh the this podcast when it comes out as well so fascinating stuff now some of the other stuff you you do is a little bit more alternative or some people may not know about it but would you touch on i mean there's so much stuff i'd love to chat to you about you know whether it's chinese herbal medicines and how they work and i'm fascinated with some of your cancer treatments like mistletoe Mm -hmm. um, and bark flower rescue remedy i've used rescue remedy many years ago when i was had a bit of a fear. I had a fear of speaking in public, and I used bark flower rescue remedy, and it was just like magic. A couple of drops.
0: Ah, interesting.
1: Yep. So I swear by that. And interestingly enough, I used to go around doing dog consults, and I'd often say to people, "You know, if you're a bit stressed, then bark flower rescue remedy. I swear it works." And they'd actually pull some out of their bag and go, oh, I've actually got some. <laughs> so I, I know that stuff works. I, uh, well, I believe in it anyway. Uh, but the mistletoe and the ozone treatments, yeah. I'm interested in that. And maybe the CBD oil, any of that stuff that you'd be happy to share with us. Mistletoe, maybe any stories around that stuff that you've, you've used, some of that stuff with dogs. Chinese yeah. herbal medicines, yeah. mistletoe. You, would you share with us something around that, what it what it does?
0: Sure, you bet. So um, Chinese herbal medicine is a real strong foundation for my practice because it these blends help um, correct imbalances in the body. So Chinese medicine looks at patterns, you know, hot versus cold, excess deficiency, um, dry versus um, damp. And we're correcting imbalances. And what I love about Chinese medicine is we're, by correcting these imbalances we can get a lasting resolution to the problems it's not symptomatic it's okay what's going on with this pet and how can we help correct these imbalances mm. so even if i'm looking at an overvaccinated puppy or a dog that's been on poor nutrition or over over medicated for what you know multiple multiple rounds of antibiotics for one reason or another the herbs can still help correct Um, these imbalances. And it's, it's fascinating to me. And this is stuff that's been around for thousands of years. This isn't, you know, what kills me about medicine is this stuff is considered, you know, a kind of woo woo, like, well, that's not standard of care. Standard of care is using the pharmaceutical that just got approved three months ago and was tested on a handful of dogs. You know, that's supposed to be the standard of care. And it just is, you know, provide symptomatic relief until they pull it off the market because it's killing pets because that's what happens a lot so so I love herbal medicine I'm always always learning about it Um, I use it in you know with lots of different cases whether it's skin or cancer um, all those different things Um, specifically uh, to cancer so mistletoe mistletoe is one of the newer things I've added in to my practice and um, actually had, I, I learned a lot from my clients. I, I think because I'm open-minded, I get the people in that, uh, they teach me things and I'll have clients come in and ask me about, you know, certain modalities and, you know, do you do this? You know, um, would you be willing to learn about it? Cause I really want to do this on my pet. And so a lot of times that's how I get into learning yeah. new things. I'm like, sure. I'll look into it. That sounds really cool. And, you know, so I don't do everything that people ask me about, but you know, I'll, I'll I started researching the mistletoe when a client asked me about it. And on the human side, it's used extensively in other parts of the world. In in Europe, I know in Italy and some of the other countries over there um, for cancer patients. It's almost like a routine standard um, for cancer patients. And it helps people with or without conventional treatment. So even people that are getting chemotherapy and they um, they tend to suffer less side effects and do better. And have better success um with the uh, with the treatments in doing mistletoe and um and then i find i i always like to find a veterinarian that's using um the these treatments in real life and and i found a veterinarian here in the states in florida that's doing uh using mistletoe in his practice and i chatted with him to find out what his protocols were and his successes and And um, I find it to be really effective, especially in slowing the growth of really aggressive tumors. I mean, nothing, there's no guarantee, you know, that we're gonna have success with a cancer case, but I will say I have seen some cases, especially aggressive regrowths. So one of the most challenging things that we run into in treating cancer is, you know, uh, tumors get removed Um, which I I don't advocate for nearly as much as I used to because what I find is most of the time, especially if you have a very aggressive cancer, you take it off and it just grows right back. Mm. And when it grows back, it grows back with a vengeance. And Mm. I I do see pets that have had multiple surgeries, and every time that tumor is removed, it grows back um, more and more aggressively and is harder and harder and harder to treat. And I think part of that is in an effort to get good margins the surgeon disrupts the circulation and the lymphatic flow in the area, and and the body's immune system can't get in there to help fight the tumor. Um, once it's once it's removed, well, this is one one scenario where I have seen um, mistletoe um, really really help. Um, I actually, you know, you asked about you know, stories. I have one little case that I've been working with. Actually, I haven't. I don't see him very much anymore. He, Kind of stabilized, and then they don't. It doesn't come in too often anymore. But um, this dog had a real aggressive tumor removed from his hind leg, and um, came in and was just limping. I mean, it was it started to regrow, and he was really painful, just super super painful. So we started doing ozone and introduced the mistletoe, and that tumor not only did it shrink, but his pain went away. I mean, the dog just started, you know, walking almost normally, barely limp. And just doing really great. Tons of energy. It was a little, um, I think it was a his little terrier. I think a little Jack Russell terrier. She's like, could you give this dog, she actually said, could you give this dog a little less energy for a while? Because he's driving <laughs> me crazy. Because <laughs> the dog was, was you know, was feeling so good. Um, but it's, you know, it's amazing. And I think it's it's a real interesting parallel that mistletoe is actually a parasitic plant. You know, it grows in the trees. You know, stuff, you know, we see it christmas time and all that um wow and i think it's interesting that this parasitic plant is such a powerful cancer treatment
1: yeah it it always blows me away with what actually works and i was chatting to my wife about this we've got a a lovely horse and he he's um she went to see him the other day and I said, how is he? She goes, oh, it's that time of year where he's eaten too much of the, the green, green, luscious, sugary grass. And now he's got sick. Mm. And I said, why, why is he always so sick from eating all this grass? What, why is that, how does that normally happen in the wild? Because my mind goes, well, they don't get like this in the wild. They'd, they'd know how to deal with it. And she says, in the wild, they're not forced to be stuck in a paddock. Mm-hmm. where there's only one type of grass they know how to move around and roam and forage for different things and they know how to like you said balance it out like chinese medicine you know balance it out hot and cold and she says they know what to eat to to kind of instinctively the animals know how to balance it out and heal themselves and i sometimes think we we doubt that we doubt their intelligence but uh this super smart
0: Yeah, but they've actually, in grazing animals, you know, they've, you know, actually studied them and found out that they will, if they're allowed to roam a pasture with a variety of grasses and what we would consider weeds, but sometimes those plants are medicinal. That's what, what they need. And they will sometimes, you know, eat certain plants to, you know, purge parasites. You know, their body knows and they don't get sick. I mean, a, a horse or a cow can be in a field with even plants that are potentially toxic, they don't eat those toxic plants in, no. in large enough amounts for them to hurt them unless that's all that there is to eat. But if they have that variety, a little bit of that can you know can be really can be really beneficial and they're meant to be out there, yeah wandering around. they're not meant to be enclosed in small spaces
1: yeah. Yeah, exactly. Would you touch on ozone treatments for the people who are not sure? You mentioned ozone treatments. So that's in cancer treatment. Yeah. What What is ozone? How does that work?
0: Oh, I I love to talk about ozone because it's been a standby in my practice for, for a long time. So, um, you know, it's another interesting story about how I got how I got into this. This was another client came in. Her dog had just had a malignant tumor removed from its leg. She didn't want to do chemotherapy or radiation. She said, I want to do ozone. Would you do ozone? And like, I was like, at that point I'd kind of heard about it. Didn't really know anything about it. She said, I'll buy the equipment. If you do the treatments, I'll buy the equipment. I'm like, okay. Um, Clearly I'm meant to go this. And she said, and not only that, I go to, I see a human doctor. She herself saw a human doctor that uses ozone on people. And I've already asked her if you could come up and shadow and see how they do ozone treatments. And then if you could learn enough that way, then maybe we could do some treatments on my dog. I'm like
1: Oh, isn't that amazing? Okay. Yep.
0: Guess the universe is throwing this in yep. my lap and saying you need to learn to do ozone. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So um so I did just that and learned enough from the and from this human practice. I went up there and shadowed their ozone tech and and started doing it. And then I went on to get more training and buy my own equipment. Um and I use it just all the time. But what ozone is basically, so ozone is O3. The oxygen in the air that we breathe is O2. Ozone has this extra oxygen atom which makes it very very reactive. And that makes it more effective at oxygenating the tissues. And really what the ozone does when it gets in the body that O3 is a very unstable molecule wants to react with something because this extra oxygen atom. That extra oxygen atom combines with other substances in the body mm. like amino acids lipids things like that and and forms we call them ozonides and these are the substances that actually get in the cells and essentially what ozone does once it gets in the cells of the body is it ramps up the energy production so anybody that has ever learned biology has probably heard about the krebs cycle which is how cells in the body produce energy and there's a lot this has been. Well worked out. I mean, I've been to whole weekend um, you know seminars on the physiology of how ozone works in the body. So it's not some woo-woo science. it's it's very well worked out how the ozone gets into the cells, ramps up the energy production, so the healthy cells get healthier. Also, by oxygenating the body, most disease processes, whether it's, bacterial, viral, fungal, even cancer tend to thrive in low oxygen environments. And, and I think part of that is because the other cells are not, you know, not as healthy. But when we oxygenate the body, um, it makes it an unfriendly environment for microorganisms or cancer cells to grow. And, you know, there's a lot of, um, you know, there's, there's, a, well, there's a lot of theories out there about where cancer exactly comes from. But one is that it's parasitic, or viral you know there's a microorganism involved in the development of cancer is you know one of the theories and so the ozone helps actually eliminate that it actually has direct anti-cancer properties i will actually inject ozone the ozone gas um, underneath the tumor so we i have a the ozone is a <clears throat> is made, they have a little generator, so I use medical grade oxygen, so regular O2 goes into this generator, and there's an electrical spark that splits that O2 into the single O's, and then that recombines, and we end up with, um, with O3. It, it happens in the atmosphere during thunderstorms.
1: I was going to um, say, I've got pictures mm-hmm. of Tesla working away with... Dzz, dzz.
0: Ah, <laughs> right, right, exactly. Incredible. Exactly, there you go. So the... The main systemic treatment that we do is I will we'll put a little IV catheter in, draw blood, mix the blood with the ozone, and reinject it into the body. So that's how we get the ozone into the body is through the blood, and then that ozone can go all over the body and seems to go where the body most needs it. Um, just see so many benefits as far as increased energy. Um, older pets, it's just great for older pets. Just helps with aches and pains and um all sorts of different things as as far and and as long well, as as well as um directly being a you know a, a cancer treatment but so we do the blood treatment um we can inject it directly underneath tumors if you have an open wound you can do a bagging procedure where you actually put like say you've got a, a a wound on a on a leg that's not healing you can we actually have limb bags that we can put that like a plastic bag up over the limb let the o put the ozone in the bag and just let that ozone saturate right into that wound and it will kill um, kill bacteria and support and support healing it was actually used it was used extensively in people prior to the you know takeover of big pharma um, World War One, um, they would use it in, in soldiers to treat gangrene green before they had antibiotics. Wow, um, very effective. Um, if there's um, a lot of papers from the early 1900s um, that came out, and all the things they were using uh, to treat um, to treat people with ozone. I mean, tuberculosis and diabetes and uh, all. All sorts of things, any kind of bacterial infections. I don't think there was a ton of cancer back then, um, but all of those diseases, and, you know, it just got squashed because there's a lot of money selling, you know, selling drugs. So we can't have anything. There
1: ain't much money in mistletoe.
0: <laughs> cheap and 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 effective treatments. You can't. And the thing about ozone is it has to be generated on site, yeah. so it can't be patented or or anything.
1: No. Well, this is the thing. Anything which seems to be able to be cheap or free or is natural and you can't patent it, it seems to be kind of boohooed and moved away. And yet, I, I've tested a number of things myself just from a, as a dog trainer, and I know it works. Mm-hmm. You know, and one of the things I'd like to just ask your opinion on is, for those people who have never experienced a flea infestation in their house, it's pretty horrendous. Mm. And I, you know, we had four dogs at the time. And we were buying these packs of poor on flea treatments, mm-hmm. and you know we'd go through one, and the fleas would be there, and we'd clean the house out, and we'd go through another one, and spend whatever one hundred and thirty dollars on four little tubes, and put it on the dogs, and a week later we still had it, and we we went through probably a thousand dollars of treatments with, we tried tags around the dogs' neck, sound things, vibration things. All these expensive, but mainly poor on treatments. And I actually chatted to somebody who worked in the industry and he kind of said, well, we know they kind of, the fleas have become resistant mm-hmm. and we need to make the product more toxic. Oh, His actual words were, we need to increase the toxicity. Oh, gosh. I just thought, oh my goodness. It was the free, it was the... F- It was the way he said it, like, oh, that's just the term we use. That's just how we talk about it. Increasing the toxicity of the product that you're going to pour onto the back of your dog's neck so that it can soak into your dog's blood. And I thought, there's something not right here. And then I realized, of course, that the fleas which jump around your dog's body, the only reason they die is because they bite your dog and the blood of your dog has got this product in it. And it's so toxic, the fleas Uh die. But then I realized the reason I never broke the cycle was because most of the fleas were not on the dog; only ten percent were on the dog, and ninety percent were around the house in the beds. So, and it doesn't matter how well you clean; it can be very hard to get every single egg because mm-hmm. they lay thousands. So then I went down another track and I bought a flea bomb, which was using nat- natural pyrethrin, which is, I, I believe, pyrethrin just a flower or something. It's a, it's a fairly natural thing pyrethrin you know pyrethrin Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah this this bomb was only 25 bucks i sprayed it once and that was the end of it
0: oh no kidding
1: i used a flea bomb for 25 bucks a bag of diatomaceous earth which is ground up it was like talcum powder it comes from ground up uh tiny tiny shells very very small crustacean shells like it's a finest powder and it it's the, um, the, the vet guy who made the um, treatment of the flea treatments, he actually mm-hmm. said, oh, it's a mechanical kill. Mm-hmm. That's clever. And, and what it is, is as he says, it's a mechanical kill. This dry powder gets into the arms and legs of the fleas and actually dries them out and kills them that way. So a $25 flea bomb, a bit of this diatomaceous earth powder mm-hmm. rubbed into my dog. And within a few days, that was the end of it. Gone and i thought wow now i know the secret if you want to get rid of fleas properly you don't have to pour all this stuff.
0: that's really interesting cuz like, it, it was phenomenal telling you before we um started the show yeah. you know we don't have a lot of fleas here in colorado so i don't end up getting really well versed in especially yep. treating the yep. the premises i mean i don't recommend these toxic preventatives cuz they're no. they're neurotoxins i mean they kill the the insects by poisoning their nervous system. And so well, what is that doing? to the, It's doing the same thing to the dog. And so I...
1: Is it the kidneys that have to then clean the blood?
0: Kidneys and liver are the main detoxifying yeah. organs. So, yeah, those are the ones.
1: And what detoxifies the liver and the kidneys? Or do they just have to deal with it? Or?
0: Well, there, there's some great herbal support. Dandelion. Um, actually, the dandelion okay. plant is one of the best detox agents. The leaves tend to um, be a really great kidney detox and the root tends to be a great liver detox. So just giving some dandelion tincture, dandelion tea. You can. I harvest my own because they grow in my garden and I don't put any chemicals on mine. And I harvest my dandelions and dry them and, you know, put them in smoothies or, you know, put a little, put a little of my dog's food here and there. And, um, so it's a great, that's like, probably one of the best and cheapest detoxifying agents if if you can get them. Milk thistle is really great for, um, for the liver. That's another um, really great one. But those are just some really simple available things. And I think doing something like that, um, I think a little detox, maybe a week out of every month is is a good thing to do. I don't think we need to detox continuously. I don't think it's actually good to detox continuously. No. But no. to do it um, periodically like that, add a little bit in, um, especially in the springtime. You know, you guys are getting into springtime. It's a natural. Like dogs go out and eat grass. Yeah. You know, so that grass starts, the yeah. plants start to grow, and dogs go out there and eat them. Like it's a natural reflex for them to go out and eat these fresh new spring greens because it helps them detoxify. Yeah.
1: Yeah, the dogs know when they're eating the grass, they know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we've got our It's it's uh, we're heading into spring here, so we've got two flea bombs, and I literally just let them off as a deterrent in spring. And we are guaranteed almost every time I've let off the flea bombs in spring, we never have a single flea case. It's just incredible.
0: Oh, that's great to know. And I'd heard about the diatomaceous earth, yeah, but I haven't had too many people. Try it. Um,
1: yep, I can guarantee that works, mm-hmm. literally. It's, you literally get handfuls of the stuff, and it's so cheap. Oh, yeah. You know, you get like a big kilogram or two kilogram bag, and you can stick your hands in and rub it under your dog's neck and under their armpits and around the back end and on the back of their neck, and you rub it in, and they give it a big shake, and there's a big puff of white smoke kind of thing, <laughs> but it's just powder, and uh-huh. it just falls off. And over the day, by the end of the day, you can't even see it. And um, we've also used it down with our chickens. Hmm. So our chickens sometimes get those little bugs in them, and there's tiny mites. You know, if anyone who's got chickens, it's the same thing. You sprinkle this spider around, and next thing you know, there's no there's no mites anymore. They've all just disappeared and gone. So, and there's no side effects. It's beautiful. Oh so.
0: yeah, it's perfectly, especially if you get um, food grade. There are different grades of it.
1: Yep, yep, yep. This is food grade.
0: But you want to get the food grade so that if your pet if your pet does ingest it. Then it um, I've used it for ants. We get ants here in the spring a lot. And I see ants in my kitchen by the garbage can. And I would just put it, you know, it doesn't look the neatest, but I didn't care for a few weeks. I would just pack it along the like the edges, the baseboard all along my kitchen and then a few weeks and no more ants
1: yeah well you can t- this is food grade most a lot of it is food grade but uh, the stuff I get is and I sprinkled it on my cereal and uh, I <laughs> won't be doing it again it basically tasted like flour and uh, <laughs> I thought I can do without that ruining my cereal in the morning yeah, I totally. enjoyed my muesli without flour on the top so <laughs> that's funny Yeah. Hey, it has been so fun chatting to you. Is there anything else as we come to a close that you would love to share with people, either about your website or where they can find out more about you or a story or anything else you'd love to share?
0: You know, probably the the most important thing that I I like to tell people, I mean, you have my website, you can find out more information about me there, but, um, you know, be an advocate for your pets. I think people fall into just blindly following the recommendations that they hear. And I so many times hear people say, God, I just, I just knew I shouldn't have done. I just knew I shouldn't have given that shot. I knew that drug wasn't the right thing for my dog, but the vet said I should. So I did it anyway. And then we have consequences. Be an advocate for your pet. You know your pet better than anybody um, because you're with them day in and day out. And when you feel like something isn't right for your pet... Then don't do it. Get another opinion. Push back. Ask your veterinarian why are we doing this? Yeah. Um, ask them if they know the side effects of whatever they're proposing to to give um, your pet. Um, be your pet's advocate. I think that's the most important thing. And and speak up. Veterinarians are not gods. You know, people are afraid to question the vet. Like, ask questions. Ask. Why, the, why are they prescribing this medication? You know, why is this vaccine necessary? What is my pet's actual risk of getting these diseases that you're recommending I vaccinate against? You know, you don't have to be mean about it, but just ask some questions and, and be your pet's advocate. And, and trust your gut when you comes to your pets, because you're going to be right most of the time.
1: Trust your gut. Let's leave it with that. <laughs> I love it. Trust your gut, Dr. Judy Jacek. Thank you for your time. It has been inspirational, wonderful listening to you. If you want to find out more, it's ahavet.com, ahavet.com. So much, so many beautiful podcasts and blog posts and videos. Or go to my website, theonlinedogtrainer.com forward slash ahavet. And there you'll find all the links and the transcriptions and uh, everything you need there as well. And all the links back to to dr judy's website judy thank you for being on the doggy dan podcast show today
0: oh my, my pleasure my pleasure dan great chatting with you
1: okay so you've been listening to another edition of the doggy dan podcast show where as i say within every dog is a good dog and within every good dog is a great dog have a great day and thanks for tuning in bye-bye You've been listening to another episode of the Doggy Dan podcast show, bringing you one step closer to creating harmony with your dog.